Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Is it acceptable to go to Mickey D's just for a drink? <laughs> of course it is. But good luck leaving with just a drink. It's more than a drink. It's a Mickey D's drink. And right now, a small Minute Maid slushie is just $1.59. So all you have to do is choose a flavor, like the tropical mango or strawberry watermelon, and enjoy like it's meant to be enjoyed. Prices and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's officially time to welcome us all back to Corner to Corner Wrestling Radio. We're live. C2C Wrestling uh, is, is, is here. C2CRadioShow.com, PW247Radio.com. We are live through Spreaker. It's all kinds of goodness going on. Hope your Thanksgiving was good. Hope everyone is enjoying their holiday. It's myself, Stan Grubb, my tag team partner, Brian Taylor. What's going on? And uh, let's let's just start this over, right? Okay. Because you didn't give your normal intro, and you kind of throw me off here. Uh oh. All right. So my normal yeah. intro. Is that where I yell yeah. at you to shut up during the music? No, no, no. <laughs> uh, isn't it like uh, good evening and welcome to Corner Corner? Ah, Corner, yes, the high yeah. energy open. I see. Yeah. <clears throat> <laughs> 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 Gotta clear the old vocal cords here. It's been we had a week off, you know. You know get a break. <clears throat> right, right. <clears throat> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Corner to Corner. Yeah, that's pretty good. I like that. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yep. Mm-hmm. They're working on it. Now you don't sound so. Uh, yeah, wimpy, that deep voice. Thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs> Might get you an A at, at college. Dude, no. No. <laughs> no. No? Uh, no, the the last uh, last last uh, A I got was a couple months ago. Actually, that's oh, not wow. true. I did. That's not wow. true. I got one last month. One. So you're you're definitely going to fail the whole voice for TV but a face for radio class, huh? Well, no, though they definitely told me I have a face for radio. Yeah, that was yeah, that yeah, was heartbreaking. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Full sale. <clears throat> hey, um, <laughs> hopefully, all the wonderful folks that are within the sounds of our voice can hear us, and they can hear everything we're talking about. Of course, because it's wrestling night, man. It's Sunday night, so that's wrestling night, right? Sunday night. That's right. And we are the show of shows to Indeed. kick it off. Um, so we got a few topics. I think we got some topics. We got yeah. a pay-per-view. Um, we got a couple of shows. Let, let's be got fair. A- w- would you call Survivor Series an actual good pay-per-view? 
Uh, you know, believe it or not, I would actually call it a good pay per view. Wow. Holy crap. And that's coming from me, right? Uh, I am. Coming from me. Uh, my mind is blown because I was not yeah. expecting that. All right, so we'll go through Survivor yeah. Series. We'll talk yeah. about the uh, December 2nd AEW Dynamite, which is looking to be better and better by the week. Um, Jesus, that's uh, that's this Wednesday. Holy crap. That is this Wednesday. Damn. And we would, I, I want to throw my thoughts, too, on where this may be headed. Hmm. Uh, All think, right. I think i think i think my brain has been working overtime and i may have figured out the assailant of one john moxley Ooh, you know that i like that you're headed that direction um but let's let's go ahead and we'll, we'll go through that of course we got the undertaker's final farewell to talk about which was just so weird <laughs> but we're gonna dive through that um <laughs> We're going to talk about, the, of course, uh, the 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 video packages and a couple things that I that I caught about the Undertaker is Broken Skull Sessions, Part Two with Steve Steve Austin, and uh, his episode of Hot Ones, which was absolutely mm-hmm. great. Um, I love mm-hmm. that show, by the way. If you get a chance to watch it, you got to watch the Steve Austin episode, Paul Rudd, of course, and uh, Undertaker and uh, Chef uh, Gordon Ramsay. Because he's just hilarious in that episode, um, but let's go ahead and get right to it. Let's start. Let's start with the dead man. Why not? Let's start with the final farewell, Brian. Um, of course, this took place during Survivor Series this past, uh, not this weekend here, but the weekend prior, um, where right. we're going to go through the card. We're going to talk about the show, but I wanted to talk about the Undertaker's final farewell. I feel like it's deserving of its own dedicated segment. Um, you know, you talk about a guy like The Undertaker, there's very few people that can fill that role, if anyone. And the dominance of which he had over the roster, not by making anybody look bad, but just the respect and the professionalism that he commanded of others. Um, it's it's hard to believe it's been 30 years. It really is. Now... Uh, is that 30 years of Taker or 30 year career? 30 years of Undertaker. Just 30 years of Undertaker. So you probably, I mean, you're probably adding another five to 10 on that. And I know like the last uh, few years, you know, he hasn't really done a lot. Uh, you know, it's normally maybe once or twice a year. But I want you to put that in the grand scheme of things, right? That guy has been a staple on your TV mm-hmm. for nigh on half a century. Almost half, <laughs> half a century. Because um, th- there was the one name, God, I forget what name it was, that they threw out there. Uh, like his first gimmick or whatever, uh, they're on the uh, on the the chicken the the hot hot ones. So there was Texas Red, the, yeah. But there was also a character that he played in Chicago, which I never knew he wrestled in Chicago, never. Yeah. Um, but it was dag on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I had the name written down. Damn, I can't find where I wrote it down. 
Yeah, to me, that was like the first time I'd ever heard mm-hmm. that gimmick associated with him. Well, um, he was he was Kane the Punisher. He was um, ah, God, here we go. Good old Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. <laughs> mean Mark, which I remember when I first saw Mean Mark in WCW, I was like, who the hell is this guy? What a putsy I name. Love mean Mark. Very intimidating guy, but what a putsy name. I'm Mean Mark. I got the heart punch. Well, yeah, but uh, I mean, you know, he was with Spivey. Yes. I think yes. Sid, um, yeah, I mean, Teddy Long was his manager. Yes. I mean, so it's not like you really needed any flashy name. I mm-hmm. mean, their their whole thing was to just go out there and beat the crap out of people. I mean, this is a guy that uh, he actually wrestled as a uh, a character that was based off of somebody out of the U- U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta after spending five years in jail for killing two men in a fight. That was the character background when he was the master of pain in uh, USWA and world class. I'm trying to remember. God, I guess I must have seen him in world class. I just don't. Remember, because back then it was on ESPN. World Class was on ESPN. Yep, live from the Sportatorium. Yeah, and that was one that I watched religiously. That was where I first saw Kerry Von Eric. I'll never forget that. Hmm. Well, I, I mean that USWA, or not the USWA, but the World Class stuff mm-hmm. was absolutely fantastic. And look at the. The, I mean, the people they had on it. I mean, if they had had a if they had had that group of roster in today with the national exposure, they'd be the number one fed in the in the entire world. Would you consider world class ahead of its time? Yes. I, uh, again, the only thing that that um, put world class. That stopped world class is they couldn't they didn't have a national a, a broader national exposure like if they if they had been like you know what let's let's do this on Monday night mm-hmm. right or let's go prime time when Vince was starting to go prime time because I would imagine that was probably yeah because Vince had prime time right uh, uh, what was that Monday night show well he had prime time wrestling. And then he had um, Saturday Night's Main Event. Those were his two mainstays as far as nighttime right. network time. But, I, I mean, just go back and look at that roster from world class. Mm-hmm. And you tell me that he couldn't have com- not only competed with the WWE, but it could compete with any incarnation of any federation that's ever been ever ever been done. Yeah. I mean there I were mean, so many different people there. You know, of course the Von Erichs, the Freebirds, um right. and that's just it, those but, groups by themselves were huge. But let let's keep going. So Austin cuts his teeth there. Mm-hmm. Hall cuts his teeth there. You had gentleman Chris Adams. Yep. Very very great talent 
And then you had guys like Iceman King Parsons mm-hmm. who just knew the buttons to push. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Bruiser Brody was there. Um, I mean, now this is, you know, me trying to remember in my head, like however long ago it was. But, I mean, just that core group of wrestlers right there could probably run the entire wrestle world today. And by run, I mean, like, literally, you would have to turn it on and watch what was going on. Because, I mean, we're not, we're talking when Austin was more of a technical, like, wrestler. And at that you point, know, Austin was one of the best in the world. Yes. But he, but because he wasn't national. Right. You didn't, you didn't really see Austin and what Austin was in world class until he went Hollywood blondes. Well, that's, yeah. In WCW. People forget just how good Steve Austin was early in his career in WCW. Like, his matches with Ricky Steamboat, his matches with Dustin Rhodes were classics. And he was, yeah. he was less than three years in the business by this point. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, he didn't have a, a long uh, track record before he hit world class. Right. And then again, you got you got uh, uh, Mark was in there, mm-hmm. the Undertaker. Uh, I mean, you have there were so many talented people, and I know I'm forgetting a boatload, but World Class used to be just an incredible show to watch for on ESPN um, coming home from school. <clears throat> so his first match, he talks about being accompanied to the ring by Percy Pringle. Who um, he his first match coincidentally was against Bruiser Brody. Of course, he gets the crap beat out of him by Bruiser Brody. He doesn't really get a chance to work a full on program with Brody. He says that's one of his big regrets because he had wished he had been able to do more with that. Could you imagine like a modern Bruiser Brody versus Undertaker kind of thing? Well, I, you know, I'm, something tells me that he was he he wound up getting the match with Brody. So they could be like, all right, well, let's put two Titans together. Right. And let's see how tough this kid is. You know what I'm saying? Whereas, like, they're thinking long term. Mm -hmm. But if we put him in, let's see see how he looks with Brody, how he acts with Brody. Right. You know, let's see what Bruiser can do to him. Because I'm sure it was probably just, you know, Brody just beating the piss out of him. Yeah. Yeah, beating the piss out of him. And if you can, if you're a big guy, you can take it from Bruiser Brody. Okay, that's you know that's a feather in your cap there. And come back for more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, something tells me that that was probably like they're sitting in the back, being like, "Well, we're about to debut this new big guy. Mm-hmm. Let's put him in there with Bruiser, and let's see, let's see what he's about." So. You know, of course, working in world class and then transitioning to USWA, which is uh, Jerry Lawler's home promotion. He is the master of pain. He is dominant. He has a great, great presence there. Um, Winning the Unified World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, He wins it shortly after that. He loses it (laughs) uh, as the USWA title was always jockeyed back and forth. Um, He wins the Texas Heavyweight Championship back in 89 after Eric Embry forfeits the title. Then we see him in WCW as Mean Mark Callis. 
Now, apparently his name was come up with by Terry Funk. Now, I actually did not know that part. <coughs> Makes sense uh, well, that the banana nose yeah. <laughs> Terry Funk would uh, make up a, a, a name that would, you know, have the word callous in it. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, the, but the bad part is you got to tell Terry Funk no. <laughs> I mean, really? You know, this isn't this isn't like a promoter. You know, this mm-hmm. isn't like your wife. This isn't. I mean, this is Terry Funk would be unlike anybody else in the business. Uh, what do you think of the name, kid? Uh, I'm not using it, Terry. <laughs> Smack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or you know, you know, Terry just buries you. Mm-hmm. You know, and you never you never are able to get anywhere. Because, you know, again, what promoter's going to take the word over you, you know, over Terry Funk? Terry says, ah, the kid's no good. Get rid of him. You're probably gone. In his short time in WCW, he's only there for a year, 1989 to 1990. This guy is, like you said, teams up with Dan Spivey, teams up with Sid Vicious. He's managed by Teddy Long. He has some memorable matches against the Road Warriors on pay-per-view. Wrestles Brian Pillman, managed by Paulie Dangerously, defeats Johnny Ace. Wow, look at all these names. It's amazing the short term that he had there, but the impact that was felt, because I think almost everybody recognized him when he debuts in 1990 at Survivor Series as The Undertaker, but people recognized him as Mean Mark as well. I, I mean, I could see that because, again, uh, WCW being national like they were, right? Because, again, we're not talking like the jump from USWA or whatever it was to WCW. Right. Where, you know, if, if you're not watching the ESPN, because, again, USWA, if I remember right, was on ESPN also. It was. Uh, if, if you don't. You're not watching the ESPN show, which a lot of adults probably weren't because they were probably at work. Um, then when he busted on the scene, you may not know who he was. But mm-hmm. in the year's time, I mean, his body of work in that tag, in the tag team division, and, and you know, in singles for sure, was you really, once he showed up in the WWF, uh, as it was known at the time, you you probably picked up on him pretty quick. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> excuse me, goodness. It's during his time in WCW where he has a fateful conversation with Ole Anderson, who tells him nobody would ever pay money to watch him perform. <clears throat> I wonder if somebody asked Ole the following year, uh, hey, <laughs> do you think they wouldn't pay for him still? Well, yeah, but, I, you know, I think there's probably that part of, and I'm not trying to defend the comment, but I think there's probably part of the, as a promoter, right, or booker, right, mm-hmm. where you, you kind of tell talent, you know, you as me, Mark Callis, are not going to make money. Right. <clears throat> you know what I'm saying? So you need to go further and develop your character because Bischoff did the same with Austin. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, the difference here is Austin to me was much more established as mean Mark. And you could have kept him stunning Steve 
and made millions, right? Whereas, you know, uh, Mark had no, I don't remember interviews. You know what I'm saying? We had this conversation, or no, actually it was on another show where we mm. were talking about somebody and it was like, okay, well, uh, you know, it let it, tell me one interview re- you remember involving this person. Great in the ring, but you can't remember an interview, which means you're probably not paying to see him. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think same thing with Mark. You know, it, it, on interview-wise, as me and Mark, he probably wasn't given time of day to even cut an interview. No, you're just the big dumb guy with the glove on. Sit back there and let Teddy handle it. And that's probably, you know, what Ole was trying to get across. That as long as you're being Mark, you're never going to you're never gonna become profitable for us. So it's at the Great American Bash in 1990 where Mean Mark wrestles against Lex Luger for the U.S. title. Now, this is something, again, I did not know this. Bruce Pritchard had already sent some feelers, some, some recruiters out there to get a look at him. And he wrestles with a do- dislocated hip because he knew that somebody was watching. That's that's pretty brave. We're not talking a dislocated finger or shoulder. We're talking your hip. That's ridiculous. Mm. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how you'd even walk with one of those let alone wrestle. <laughs> oh my! That's early in his and career that, to have that kind of an injury, too. Yeah, well, I mean, think about it too. Back then, Luger was—I mean, he was an absolute powerhouse. He was a yeah. big name. And a brute. So, he was kind of rough yeah. and tumble, yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's fast forward. We go to WWE, WWF at the time, and the teasing of a debut or a surprise at Survivor Series is, is there. But everybody's thinking it's going to be something that comes from the egg because that's where we get introduced to the gobbledygooker. But it turns out that we get our first look at a six foot ten, seemingly undead machine <laughs> known as the Undertaker, doing things that I had never seen in a wrestling match. Never, I had never seen anybody wrestle the way that the Undertaker did. Mm, what do you mean? As like a big guy being able to wrestle? And yeah, big like guy did? with the, with a very methodical approach, and not he was never in a hurry, which was great. But at the same time, everything he did. And, and this, again, 1990, he starts training in 87. That's the craziest part. So he started training in 87 to get it, to become a wrestler. In 1990, he's already debuting in the WWF. And he's, he's just, I mean, he's agile. He can move fast. But everything is slowed down. It's, it's, it's like he'll only move fast when he feels like he has to. Well, I would imagine part of it um, has to do with uh, where he came from, too. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, going through world class, um, I would imagine he probably learned a whole lot from, uh, uh, you know, the, the group that was down there. Yeah. You know, on on how to tell an in ring story. When you look at accomplishments, 
a guy that uh, when you really, really take a long, hard look, wrestles Hulk Hogan in his first year there, beats him for the WWF title, beats Jimmy Snuka, beats Roddy Piper, beats Ric Flair by countout, beats the Ultimate Warrior. I mean, this is a guy that in a very quick amount of time is not just dominant, but overly so, to a point where you start to wonder who in the world will ever stop him. Of course, we don't find out that anybody really stopping him for years. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know, again, I, I think the, another um, factor you have to, or I guess two factors you have to look at, is A, as a bad guy, he, especially for like a brand new debuting character, mm-hmm. he got the fans wrapped up in him so fast that you know you cheer for him. You know what I'm saying, right? You know you were you were just glued to the Undertaker, and, and which is truly amazing um, that it, it happened that fast. And the other thing that I'm ha- I mean, this this is one of these rare, you know, lightning in a bottle type stories. Because mm-hmm. I mean, you, you, at, at first you would almost have to second guess Vince. Like Vince, what are you thinking here? You know, you, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Just exactly what in the world are we doing here? But then Vince has enough confidence in this guy. To put him in, in, in just unbelievable stories as far as a first-year character goes. And um, to have the faith that it, it would continue the way it did. So, Brian, I have some Undertaker trivia for you. Oh, don't know. Okay. Who scored the first pinfall victory over The Undertaker when he first got to WWF? When he first got the WWF? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, Sid Vicious. <clears throat> you said Sid Vicious. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Hmm. He says there. Sid Vicious, oh. everybody. Sid freaking Vicious. Yeah, okay. Sid Vicious. <laughs> the answer. This is something that blew my mind. The answer is Tito Santana. Get out of here. Tito Santana in an untelevised matchup, however it was recorded, and you can find this on YouTube, rolls up The Undertaker after a 10-minute match for the first pinfall victory over The Undertaker. Wow. That that alone, that alone, that alone should solidify the Hall of Fame ring for Santana's hand. (laughs) I mean, <clears throat> when when The Undertaker first debuts, he's managed by Ted DiBiase. And then he introduces Brother Love as his full-time manager. Brother Love then transitions over to Paul Bearer. Every single time that they make a change with The Undertaker, Mark Calloway makes a change with his character as well and makes it even more uh, macabre, you know, uh, intense, 
You know, he mm-hmm. he's he's a bad guy for a majority of his early run, and then Randy Savage is gets married to Elizabeth. He's feuding with Jake Roberts, and as they're walking back during a Saturday night's main event, Jake is at the entranceway ready to waffle him with a chair, and it's the Undertaker that stops him. And I remember how exciting it was to watch the Undertaker go from bad guy to good guy on Saturday night's main event, and then, of course, on Superstars the next week after that, where he tells Jake Roberts that he's not on his side, which was unreal. Now, you want to – let's – let's look at the Undertaker, though, when you you say he was a bad guy, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I know who he faced and all. You know, you've thrown the names out there, but really – was he a bad guy? I mean, in today's pro wrestling world, he would have been so down the middle because, you know, there's really there was really no emotion coming out of him. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, did, did he, he – I, I, you're going to have to help me here. You're going to have to help me remember. Like, before the Jake Roberts incident, because really once he turns, he only goes – he only becomes bad a few, a handful of times in right. 30 years. Right. Right. But other than like locking who was it, the ultimate warrior's hand in the coffin. No, no, no. He locked and Jake Roberts, his hand. He locks oh. ultimate warrior in the coffin. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Other, other than like that moment though, he doesn't really feel the need, especially <laughs> at, at the start for underhanded dirty tricks. Other than he attempted can, murder, <laughs> well, but I mean, he can still, he can he can breathe, he can breathe. He's got air, but you know what? He I'm, had no air. He could die. <laughs> you you know what I'm saying? I mean, there there wasn't uh, you know I don't remember chairs coming into play. Uh, Bear had the urn, but they didn't use the urn because you know if the top come off the urn well there here comes the light show so it's not really like you can just cold cock somebody i think the what i i actually i there i do know of one time that i did see where Mick Foley tried the cosmic fireball it didn't work so the undertaker probably gets it you remember that match the fireball on the undertaker wow yeah, yeah so oh yeah that I was think, back when they were doing like bar, uh, boiler room brawls and stuff yeah mankind uh, I guess Paul Bear was managing Mankind. Mm-hmm. I think The Undertaker was a good guy. And the, and the way the match is supposed to end, I guess Mankind turns on Bear and he hits him with the Cosmic Fireball or some crap like that. <laughs> the Cosmic and Fireball. I, yeah, I just saw this the other day. I wasn't I wasn't really listening to too much, but I was I was watching it. And so Mankind, I guess, tries multiple times to light the the lighter to get the fireball to work. And it's not working, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he's just flicking it. He is in the ring flicking this thing. It's not working. And, you know, they did, They were just using a regular Bic lighter, you know. Right. So it probably got wet or whatever. And then so it's not working. They, you know, you actually get the hand gesture, like, I think once or twice. And there's no Right, fireball. where he's trying to throw it. <laughs> yeah, and there's no fireball. So finally the Undertaker being the, you know, the consummate uh, professional he is, you know, I somehow another mankind hits the, hits the ground. Paul 
Bear falls back into the corner. Undertaker goes and picks it up for Mankind, walks right over to Paul Bear's face. You know, you can see him. He's trying to strike. It's not working. Well, again, eventually (laughs) he just walks over in like a fit of rage. He gets it to light and just, I mean, he's got to be like an inch from Paul Bear's face or something. He just like (laughs) throws it at him. (laughs) I mean, but I, I mean, again, go back. Uh, go back and try and remember there he didn't really cheat as far as like chairs and you know all types of other things no that was it, always uh paul bear that would if, if anybody cheated it would be paul bear outside of like an illegal choke yeah and, and you know if, if you were to use the story with the urn and everything else i mean even today would have made sense but i think in today's society in today's wrestling world he'd have been right down the middle do you think that if and this is always going to be a question that people talk about but do you think the undertaker had he debuted say in 2019 would he have taken off the way he took off in 1990 uh yeah i think so uh and and so uh, you couldn't use the look you would have had to upgraded the look mm-hmm. so right so you probably would have just changed the his uh, outfit a little bit. I think the character works no matter the, the generation of fans. And I, I think he's, he was just, if you took the stories, right, if you don't really change other than who's in the stories, mm-hmm. right. And you let the stories play out the same. I think it works because he simply, it was like you saw him, right? You were in awe of him. You knew, though, when he got in that ring, especially after the first match, and he literally just does what he did, like, you know, the the top rope, uh, you know, the walk where he walked the entire top rope, you know, and just the way he moved and his speed and... I mean that is even by to, even by today there are very few big guys that can do that. But he to me would be steps ahead of the rest of them as far as speed. I mean you figure he'd be Jake Roberts, Kamala, Giant Gonzalez. Um, you know, Randy Savage, Ric Flair. I, I ran down the list of victims. You know what I mean? There's a lot of the people that he's mm-hmm. beaten. Never mind the fact that he competed against Road Warrior Animal again. And, and this is something that I didn't even realize. He wrestled Animal in a qualifying match in '91 for King of the Ring. Gets to Sid and fights him to a double disqualification in the semifinals, getting eliminated from the tournament. I never knew that. Hmm. Well, yeah, but you probably did. It was just lost over time. I mean, I've forgotten a few you things. Know what I'm That's saying? true. Yeah, yeah. Because back then, back then, the significance of it, um, you know, you wouldn't have thought back then that 30 years later, you know, The Undertaker would have been what he was. Now, for all of the majestic moments that The Undertaker had, because really, when you look at it, the big moments with The Undertaker are, they've got like this pomp and circumstance to him. There's this moment, this aura. There was some comedy. There were some some gaffes, some goof-ups, some things he probably wishes he could do again differently. For example, when 
Mabel, King Mabel, broke his orbital bone. Um, he wears that, that creepy mask to keep his face intact. There's, uh, I, I, I don't know if he would ever say this out loud, but there's the time where the million dollar corporation melted down his urn and made it into a necklace. He'd probably, probably not want to go through that again. Um, you know, I think that there's, he says himself, like when he would go on the, uh, Regis and Regis and Kathy Lee show Mm -hmm. that he was miserable because all he could do is grunt. I can just imagine. Here you are, this personable guy. Because we see him now, and it's like, this is a guy you could have a beer with. Like, literally, you could sit down, have a beer, and talk shop with him. Or, hell, you could talk about anything with him. But to see him be like, yeah, they wouldn't let me do anything but stay in character, that's got to be miserable. Well, yeah, but, (laughs) again, it's a different time. I mean, that's still... Yeah, very much so. Yeah, I mean, that's still the the world of, uh, you know, dare I say, dare I use it, terms. Don't use know. insider terms! Yeah, don't use insider terms, but, <laughs> uh, you know, that was that was what you did back there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, again, I can remember, you know, meeting certain people, right? you know, and, and by seeing what they are today, you're like, well, you know, back then it was like, well, why, you know, he... Oh, so he only knows Russian. Mm-hmm. Oh, I got you. But then today, I mean, he, he's, you hear how he's such a wonderful person, like Nikita Koloff. <laughs> with a <you> southern <laughs> draw. Yeah, with a southern draw. <laughs> you know? But I would imagine he would have been the same way, you know? You know, it's, uh, it's cool Mark, you mentioned that. Talk, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, but it's cool that you mentioned that because there were characters that used to just scare you. Right, there's only a few of them out there. Papa Shango was scary. Um, uh, uh, shoot, you just said the guy's name, Nikita Koloff. He was he was actually really scary, but the Undertaker was scary when he first started coming out. Yeah, he was scary. He's scary, like real scary. Right, like, right. So with with like Nikita, Nikita only got scary in, when he like uh, you know got mad. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So when he was calm, it was like, oh, okay, whatever. And then when he gets mad, he's like, ah. But the Undertaker, I mean, you even you even had the painted stuff on his head to where you could – it looked like his skin was more taut than, yeah. you know, than normal. So it's Looked like, like he never uh, slept. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he was, he was a different kind of scary. I mean, he was just straight – he, he might have been the – the first one I can remember that was just like straight scary. Like you just had to, as soon as he comes out. And I think again, that's why the, the, his entrance music is so memorable because well, for the long term fans, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. as soon as it went off, you just kind of look at the entrance and you're like, Oh, here he comes. And then there he is. And you're like, Holy cow. Look at this. Look at this guy. Right. We're talking making kids cry, making um, making adults like look around and, and start looking over their shoulder. My wife tells me that to this day, early Undertaker stuff still creeps her out and gives her nightmares. <laughs> well, so I, I, I mean, I, in all honesty, Undertaker like is hit or miss right throughout the thirty years. 
mm-hmm. and it has to be. No, you know, he he has this crazy way of reinventing himself, right? Mm-hmm. But some of it was just pure miss, like the face mask, right? Remember that one, mm-hmm. the little Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, all right, whatever, all right. But you know, again, there are there are spots from the early stuff that I will simply never forget that ranks like in my all time moments that, you know, it's etched in my mind that I'll just never forget. Like I'll forget like where it happened, maybe Mm -hmm. the circumstances on how it happened, but the actual spot I'll never forget. And, and one of them, my all time, one of my all time favorite undertakers moments is when he gets defeated in the ring and they're taking him to the back and they get right under the Tron. And next thing you know, you know, again, the the, the picture of the Undertaker is moving up the Tron. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Real nice and slow. And Royal Rumble 94. Top, yeah. yeah, and when it gets to the top, they've got him hooked up. Or maybe it's him. Who knows? But, you know... <laughs> And as as the picture goes up the top of the screen, well, there goes the Undertaker. Yeah, and you knew that that incarnation of the Undertaker was done. You know, when you were looking forward to the to you know what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I can remember you know the Limp Biscuit, uh, American Badass. Oh my God. When he first came um, out with Kid Rock, it was yeah. amazing. Um, yeah, it was just it's crazy some of the stuff. But you know, again, a lot there were a few misses though. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there's there's the Ministry of Darkness, which was both both positive and negative. Positive for character development, great storytelling, not so great for the. We're gonna we're we're gonna hook somebody up and get Midian to run around and we're gonna drink blood and to me I was like eh okay whatever but but again go ahead no go ahead no you go ahead but it's just it for me like you said there's a lot of a lot of hits and there's a few misses I, I feel like if there's a guy that was able to endure both positive and negative it was the Undertaker yeah it and it all starts with the, from the beginning. Mm-hmm. You know, because again, the Undertaker is one of these rare uh, characters, right? Personas. Let's call it personas. Mm-hmm. He's one of these rare wrestling personas that you immediately fall for, and you just you can't get out of it. You know what I'm saying? So right. to me, he's like the Hogan's, the Flares, the Rocks, the Hearts, the the Bonaires, the Freebirds, you know, the Austins, the Cena's, you know, the Macho Man. Some of these people that you just get hooked the moment you see them. And it doesn't matter, you know, if you see him 10 years into his career, your first time ever seeing them, you're hooked. And which, you know, again makes him uh, one of those transcendent pers- uh, personas. That, my friend, is a, a $1.50 word right there, transcendent. Damn. 
Yeah, I don't even know if it's real. I know <laughs> transcendence real, but I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. That's Who pretty cares, good, right? That, that's pretty good. We're talking Undertaker. We're talking right. Undertaker. <laughs> <laughs> so we talk about hits and misses reinventing Undertaker. You know, he goes from the gray to the purple to kind of a, a leather to the badass to big evil back to the dead man you know i mean all of these different iterations of the undertaker and the entire time this all happens he's having matches that are just just holy shit moments steve austin kane his inferno match with kane was amazing and then you have to look at and no one will ever forget king of the ring 1998 him and mankind where he literally throws mankind from the top of hell in the cell. Yeah. Uh, I would say probably one of the greatest cage matches ever. Definitely. Ever. I remember we were at, I want to say we were at Mike's house. You, me, Mike, Rob. And we're sitting there and we're watching... And all of a sudden, Mick goes off the cage. We're like, what the hell? All of us jumping up and down, freaking out because it's just, there's no way that just happened. There's no way right. we really just saw that. Right. He thought he's dead. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Match has to end. Right. But not not only does it not end, <coughs> because, you know, Mick Foley is crazy, um, but they go back. To the top of the cell. <laughs> and he choke slams Mick Foley through the cell, which apparently wasn't supposed to happen. None of it was supposed to happen. Uh, I think it's Mick. Uh, I think it's Mick that says it. I mean, they were like legit told not to get crazy. And then the two of them get, you know, conniving in the back. Mm-hmm. And they're like, hey, you know, there ain't but one way to do this right, right? Because, <laughs> again, there was there was no protection on that table. Right. You know, it's not like today. I mean, we've seen them today, and there's the uh, inflatable mat that they have that you can clearly see on camera when he comes off. Um, I mean, he went for a ride. And oh, I'm yeah. telling you, I... I if I remember right, they were told not because I think they suggested it. And Vince says no. Yeah. And Vince says no. Not <laughs> you're not going off the top of a cage. Yeah, no. <laughs> oh yeah. Watch what I can do. Yeah, that that was the once, but twice. that was the craziness that was the Attitude Era, but it was also the craziness and the ingenious method that not just Mick Foley but the Undertaker had. Keep in mind. We already know the injuries that McFoley sustained. That's that's well documented. What we didn't know, <clears throat> especially in '98, was the Undertaker had a torn groin muscle and a broken foot before he got into the ring for that match. Could you imagine trying to climb a cage with a torn groin? Mm, I, I couldn't imagine even being in that match or walking. It, it may not necessarily, <laughs> yeah be the climb up right but when you're trying to climb back down and you got to come up you got to like climb over the side of that thing mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that that might be where your problem is. Never mind. And you got to remember bumping. too, there were no footholds in the cage. Right. It's right. not like today. I mean, that was straight chain link. Mm-hmm. Not. I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's not just the climbing, the walking to the ring, and walking back. You got to bump. <laughs> you got to get slammed. You got to get hit with chairs, and you're in there with a the madman and mankind. So you're about to go through hell. Um, there's so many different points, and, and I wanted to make sure that we talked about the early parts because you have to kind of look at the early pieces of The Undertaker to get into what he did that was just so amazing after the fact. You know, he wrestles everybody. I, I think if we were to go down the list of everyone he's faced, it would be almost endless. But how many stars did The Undertaker make? That's the big thing. How many stars did this guy make? Think about it. Jeff Hardy. If Jeff Hardy doesn't have that ladder match with The Undertaker on Monday Night Raw, there's no way Jeff Hardy becomes WWE champion. You think? No way. Somebody has to say, I have faith in this kid. I can make him a star first. And and I like Jeff Hardy. I'm a huge Jeff Hardy fan. But to me, if you don't have somebody the caliber of The Undertaker to really... And and really, Jeff Hardy wins that match even though he doesn't, if you think about it. Because he skyrockets after that match. He is the guy. let, Let me just... Let's just back the card up a little bit, okay? No, no, no. He skyrockets. <laughs> no, according to his brother, Matt. Oh, right? here we go. I think I think everything uh, everything Jeff's got, you, you could give to Matt. Hey, I don't he, know what he's calling himself nowadays. He's iconic. But <laughs> I, oh, he's iconic? I think he, yeah, that's what he's tweeting as now, iconic Matt Hardy. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah, according to iconic Matt Hardy. And, and Brian, you don't know how hard it is to be Matt Hardy. You just don't. Yeah, you don't. You, you just don't do it. <laughs> John Cena. There, there's another guy. John Cena has a great debut against Kurt Angle, right? Mm-hmm. But who tags with John Cena weeks after that? But The Undertaker. Think about that. I mean, you're brand new. You've been, you know, biding your time on the indies, and Cena was in OVW. He was in uh, UPW out in California. He's, he was white meat baby face, to say the least. Here we go, insider terms. Ha ha, take that. But seriously, you look at John Cena. I mean, he was he was just another guy. Undertaker gets in the ring with him, tags up with him, and now you've got, oh, shit, this kid's got something. And then, of course, we see him start to rap and all of that. It's not to say that The Undertaker is golden in the ring because you know hey there's there's guys that were better wrestlers sure but there's never another and there never will be another undertaker period it just won't happen well i so that's yeah but see that's the glorious thing about pro wrestling right Mm -hmm. just when you thought you have seen the be all and end all and the greatest wrestler ever somebody comes along and eclipses that one that's right? true that's true so but so let's let's just take the 80s right and we're mm-hmm. just gonna we'll stick with the wwf right mm-hmm. we have hulk hogan right right well hulk hogan who 
without a doubt, is one of the greatest sports entertainers the WWE has ever produced. I would say right? wrestling has ever produced, sports entertainers-wise. Well, yeah, sports entertainers. I won't, I won't, I won't give him enough credit. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you're not a Hulkamaniac. It's okay. It's all right. Yeah, we're, you're not, he's not going on the greatest all-time wrestler list. <laughs> he can be the great, with the greatest sports entertainer. He won't go on the other list. <laughs> anyway, so you have Hulk Hogan, right? And I'll lay money. There's nobody that watched Hogan during his heyday that was like, you know what? When Hogan retires, there's going to be somebody better. Yeah, you know that's fair. Yeah. And then here comes The Undertaker. Right. Uh, you know, as Hogan is winding down to the WWE, Undertaker starts to build up momentum, and it carries us all the way into The Rock and Austin, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. who in their own rights as sports entertainers, uh, you know, push that l- – that limit that much higher and then here we have cena who may be the last of the wwe mega stars yeah you know what i'm saying but he in his own right pushed the business you know almost in the same vein that the undertaker did and that rock did and austin did and hogan did so i Again, I don't want to. I don't want to be like God. Uh, there will never be. Well, there will never be another Undertaker, but mm-hmm. there may be the next wrestler slash sports entertainer who pushes the business that much further. When you look at <clears throat> when you look at guys who you could rely on, no matter who they were in the ring with, because Undertaker he had some great opponents. I mean, Bret Hart, Steve Austin, Shawn Michaels, Chris Benoit. Rob Van Dam, Kurt Angle. I mean, these are great performers, right? Mm-hmm. But he also had some crappy ones. Let's be honest. I mean, we love Mark Henry. We respect the hell out of him. But Mark Henry, for a long time, was was really limited. It wasn't until, what, 2010 that he was really able to get out of his own way. And I think that's just from experience and people helping him. But in his earlier pieces where he's in the ring with the guys like The Undertaker, that's a hell of a not safe moment. Giant Gonzalez, another guy who just big guy, big attraction, but can't work worth a crap. That's and that's not me saying it. Of course, I'm not a wrestler. I'm reading it and hearing it from guys like The Undertaker and other people that were in WCW. And these are guys that huge challenges. And even Yokozuna to an extent, because as good as Yokozuna was, and he was very good, he's a big guy. You can't pick him up, you can't choke slam him, you know what I mean? So you got to find a way to make it work. But a guy like The Undertaker made that work. So it didn't matter if you were good or bad. He made you look good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he he was just, he, he had the talent. He had it. He had everything you could ever want mm-hmm. in, a, in an icon. There's there's going to be a long list of people that when it when you look back over pro wrestling and say these are the people that helped mold it and shape it to what it is today. You're always going to have a big piece of that that's dedicated to the Undertaker, like you said, Hogan for sports entertainment, Flair for you know who he was and what he did, uh, and then you're going to have the technical guys like Malenko, Guerrero. You know you're going to have certain people. 
you look at times where a guy has gotten a huge send-off that didn't really deserve it. Like, not that I don't like Goldberg, but I feel like once he beat Brock Lesnar, won the title, and then lost it again, I felt like his send-off after that was like, eh, he doesn't need to come back. Granted, he's still entertaining. I'm not taking anything away from the guy. But I felt like he didn't need to. Undertaker gets to a certain point. He's got the streak. He has tremendous matchups with Triple H, with Shawn Michaels twice, with um, Ric Flair early in the streak. That was actually a really great match. I mean, you remember WrestleMania 19. We're watching it, and Arn Anderson runs to the ring and hits the spine buster on The Undertaker. How cool was that? I'll have to take your word for it. (laughs) (laughs) You don't remember it? I mean, that was, what, 20, 20, how, 20, eight years ago? Okay, yeah, it was a long time ago. Jeez. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. That that is a long time ago. (laughs) Yes, that's a very long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. (laughs) There's also times where I think we could say safely that, that we had wished that maybe The Undertaker had continued his time off. I think his Roman Reigns match, that's a huge part. Um, he, he says it himself. I wasn't ready. I shouldn't have been in the ring. His match against Goldberg, where he desperately wanted to kind of counteract what happened with Roman. Now, in 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 that case, though, I would say, just from a fan perspective, I felt like more of that was on Goldberg than it was on Undertaker. Because Goldberg knocks himself silly backstage, comes out there. It's, of course, you what, like 100 degrees in that arena. And then, you know, they're both wiped out. And he damn near kills The Undertaker. Thank God he didn't, but it was kind of a crazy moment. Yeah, so I would have been happy after Brock mm-hmm. for him to... Because didn't he leave... Uh, who did he leave the boots in the ring with? Roman. Oh, no, definitely. Yeah, I would have... They should have left... They should have done it at Brock. Um... I, that to me would have been a very uh, fitting send off. Yeah. Although I, I I am glad that they did do the cinematic uh, match with AJ. Mm-hmm. I thought if that's going to be your official last match, uh, which I think it is, right? It is. Yes, he is officially uh, okay. retired. <laughs> All right. <That> <laughs> For now, last match. Yeah, that stands. Also, mm-hmm. um, I, I didn't see the need for Roman. I mean, this, I mean, I don't see how one guy can like, le- like legit pass the torch to three different people. Well, and the, this is something that kind of cracked me up to uh, WrestleMania 30, right? It's Daniel Bryan's WrestleMania when you really think about it. But WrestleMania 30 is also the the WrestleMania where the streak gets, streak gets broken. I'm of two minds about this. First off, I don't think the streak should have ever been broken. I think it should have been like one of those holy grail kind of moments that should have just left intact and he retires when he retires. But at the same time, if you're going to break it, I agree with him in what he said with Steve Austin. Brock was the wrong guy to do it. Now granted, it did help Brock. It did create more of a mystique for Brock Lesnar, even though Brock didn't really need it. It did give him more. But he said that he would have much rather done that with Roman Reigns. 2014, if you look back to 2014, and this is before his 
it was a hernia. Yeah, hernia at Survivor Series and all of that. This is Roman at his peak point with Shield, probably his most mm-hmm. popular time. Would have been way too early, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, the problem is once again, you're. I think everybody is towing the company line with Roman. You think right? that's why he said it? Well, I, I don't. I think, like in his mind, you know. Oh well, let's do this with Roman because mm-hmm. Roman is this. I mean, they're still buying that Roman is so over. Roman is not over. He, he now he's probably more over than he has been since the Shield. I, I definitely agree that. with you that I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. <laughs> right? I, I if mean, you so, can't get down with the tribal chief, you're doing something wrong. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but back then he wasn't over right. in my mind. Very much so. Well, I, I feel like in 14 he was. 15 he was not. I don't think you as the, as a member of the Shield. Mm-hmm. Yes, because he had Rollins and Ambrose. Right, right. He was he was still doing the silent uh, uh, gimmick, right? He didn't really talk much compared to the other two. Which I would have been but fine with went, if he had never changed that, by the way. Well, I, I agree, too, but you make the mistake of letting him talk and then being like, huh, I got a clever idea. Uh, <laughs> Cena, come here. Uh, oops. <laughs> yeah, oops. Because if that doesn't set Roman back light years, I don't know what did. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I think if for me, right, again, this is strictly for me, I would much rather have seen Brock do it and break the streak because I could buy Brock Lesnar beat could you I mean again this is what a streak right that like you said should not be broken mm-hmm. right should never be touched shouldn't be tarnished shouldn't be none of that crap right but in order to do the first one he needs to take such a beating that it legit shocks the world, right? Mm. And to me, Roman's not your guy. Plus, I mean, think about it. But think about it. So in order for Roman to beat The Undertaker, right? Mm-hmm. How many spears are you going to hit him with? Right. How many? How many Superman punches? And at, at that Getting point, to, oh, he, go ahead. well, I was just going to say at that point, he hadn't really developed any kind of aggressive, like over the top aggressive behavior. He was just a, right. foot, a that, foot soldier at that point. Right. And that's what I was getting ready to say. Get from point A to the point where you can hit him with five spears and three Superman punches to finally put the Undertaker down. He can't. Roman Reigns couldn't have done it. Right. Because you couldn't have built it up right. Because, again, he can't talk. He doesn't have a mouthpiece. You don't get the hype you need for it. And, again, in the ring, he couldn't have competed with The Undertaker. Mm -hmm. So, what, you would have had The Shield come out? 
So then it would have taken three, which then ultimately would take away from Roman because you always have the asterisk right, with the assist from Ambrose and Rollins. And you would think feasibly for for the streak to end, it needs to be so much that it's over and there's no reason for him to come back kind of ending. Right. If, if you that, have the shield run in, that just gives him more reason to come back. Right, and that that's what I'm saying with Brock. Brock was such a mauling. Right. Right? That you just literally, like, you just watched it. And there was a point where you kind of feel sorry for The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. When you, especially when you can tell this dude is out. Right. He is gone. He's just been decimated. And I, I think that is the perfect end to that career. Mm-hmm. Flash forward, though, again, to what they did. But at that point in time, to end the streak, you, I mean, you if if Michaels couldn't have done it, Michaels would have been a worthy one to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Triple H would have been a worthy one to do it. I think Triple H probably would have been a smart one to do it. It would have made better sense in the long run. Yeah. But... There's no way anybody would have bought into Roman doing it. And I think ultimately that would have very negatively affected Roman's career. Mm-hmm. Worse than, like, Cena. Yeah. Making making him look that bad. And that would, you would have even had him win. But because of the win... You would have, you would, you would have pulled like Vince would have been at the curtain, right? And when Roman wins, Vince would have stuck his head out and smiled like, "Ha ha, I did it! I, yeah, I won right. this match." And then everybody would have just dog pissed him. There is nobody in the world that could tell me had Roman won and broke the streak that you would have been okay with it. I think if Roman had broken the streak, to me, it would have felt like. Um, it would have felt like fifteen, you know, where there was it just felt forced to have him in there with Brock, right? I mean, and and I and and in fifteen, I, I was a Roman fan in that regard, but it felt forced because you had guys. I mean, think about it. Daniel Bryan is at this point still at the height of his popularity, and they put him in the Intercontinental Title match instead. Wouldn't you have much rather have seen him beat Brock Lesnar, even even if he lost to Rollins, you know, with Money in the Bank? Wouldn't you have much rather seen that match? Because I think I would have. Especially after having seen what we saw at uh, Survivor Series a couple years ago where Daniel Bryan was a bad guy and we watched him go after Brock. I thought that was great. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot of those those key things that happens, especially in the late parts of Undertaker's career that you're just like, geez, why? And then, of course, he has his match with Bray Wyatt the following year after the streak ends, which actually was pretty decent. Um, he has his match against Shane again, pretty good match there. Um, his match against Roman, we've already beat that one to death. And then you finally start to wonder and say, okay, look, um, what's, what's the point? He has this moment with Cena and you're like, okay, cool. That's a great way to send him off. And to me, I thought, okay, he's done. That's cool. That's okay. But instead AJ Styles happens to get into his head a little bit and says, well, why not? And and that could have been, that could have been one of those gaffes we were talking about earlier, 
Because if you think about it, The Undertaker was in great shape when he got in there with Cena. And I won't take anything away from him. But to catch lightning in the bottle was already hard enough. Mm-hmm. Not to mention to get lucky enough to have a great standout match with AJ Styles. Because AJ's not John Cena. He won't just... Right. I mean, he'll bump for you, but he's not going to be able to carry back if he has to. I, I just don't know that he could do that with The Undertaker. Especially with The Undertaker as limited as he was towards the end parts of his career. But the Boneyard match, we finally get... Uh, we finally get the end of a chapter in a book. You know, we get that actual... As The Undertaker described it, the Holy Trinity, the unholy trinity, you know, Mark Calloway, the American Badass, and The Undertaker. Mm. And it was was dramatic. It was funny at points. Remember where he's like hugging AJ? He's like, oh, no, no, man, it's okay. We're all good. And then he, boom, puts him into the grave. I mean, there there were some great key points of that matchup. And then... You know, we get the last ride of The Undertaker, which was so cool. Watching that, like, you know, get the breakdown of what happened with Undertaker, what his mindset was. And then we get his interviews on Hot Ones and, of course, with Steve Austin. And you finally get a look at a guy who just honestly just wants to do it for his fans. Which, I mean, yeah, there's still a lot of a lot of comments that you can make about how much... How, how much longer he worked. But if there's a guy, and, and again, we've spent we've spent pretty well our first hour here going through The Undertaker, you know, talking about his career and how much he means. So when you talk about that, when you talk about all of the stuff that this guy has done, to go from that to the send-off that I know they meant really well and they had nothing but good intentions with this send-off. Brian, am I alone on this? Wasn't their send-off kind of weird at Survivor Series this year for him? I know that the Thunderdome and, you know, COVID has got everything really limited, but didn't it feel just weird? Well, so uh, I'm about to show this. This was like the main event I thought was really, you know, good reason why I said this was a good pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Right. If you can believe that, you know, I'm actually going to give uh, credit to Reigns and and Drew. And uh, oh, yeah. Great matchup. You know, yeah, I I think this was one of the reasons why I will officially go out and say that uh, this was a good pay-per-view because it helped me fall asleep. So, yeah. (laughs) Damn it. Here, here's five pence, you little hooker. Get in the car. Oh, wow. <laughs> you got bought for a nickel. I'm gonna Not need, even a dime. A I'm, nickel. I bought you for a nickel. I'm going to need one of those uh, donut pillows because I'm a little sore right now. Uh, no, so actually, <laughs> actually I, I will. <laughs> I've been waiting for that all. <laughs> this whole hour, I've been. I haven't oh. broken smile or nothing. You were so waiting. dirty. Anyway, so. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm going to have to admit I did fall asleep during during the main event because I even asked y'all when you, you and Rob were talking about it in, mm-hmm. in the chat. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> what did I miss? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'll have to say I missed it. And then I forgot to go back and rewatch it. So <laughs> Let me see if so, I can set the scene for you, buddy. <laughs> all right, well, but, but to me, though, 
to me, his career officially ended with AJ. Right, right. So, <laughs> that's the way I'm going to remember it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, I, I love WWE's packages. Like how they do oh, the video really? packages. You love their packages? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> You were just trying hey, to hey. get your full cell teachers. To get, get me there. there. Get me there. <laughs> <laughs> but I do. I love the video packages these guys put together. I mean, they, they tell a story so well. I wish that they wouldn't do them every single match. <laughs> but I do like the ones that they put together. And the Undertaker one that they did was great. Kind of gave you a, a history of the Undertaker, all these moments. And then transitioning from that to his final farewell. They bring out all of these great guests, Shane McMahon, The Big Show, JBL, Jeff Hardy, Mick Foley, who, by the way, Mick, please get your beard under control. I thought mine looked bad during the first lockdown. Uh, The Godfather, the Godwins, this was kind of cool. The Godwins were there, Savio Vega, Rikishi, the, the, the Bone Street crew, I think is what they're called. All of them in the, in the house. Of course, uh, the Bone Street crew, you know, uh, his his clique in the back. That was the Godwins, Godfather, oh, all okay. of them. So, uh, and then, of course, Kevin Nash, Booker T, Shawn Michaels, Ric Flair, Triple H, Kane. And then, and then we get in this package, you see all these different people that are kind of giving comments about him. And you're like, wow, this is really cool. Then you get where they do like a almost like a jump cut. And there's just Vince by himself in the ring. Like, where the hell did all the guests go? <laughs> yeah, they come out. Hey, guys. And then they leave. What the hell? So Vince is there. And by the way, um, I know that Vince is, is up in his, his age. And, you know, I, I hope he's okay health-wise. He did not look well. Um, well we, we can discuss that after this. <laughs> but he introduces The Undertaker as only Vince McMahon can. And he has that just, just that iconic voice that he just does the... The whole gravelly, the Undertaker. I mean, it's just, I can't, we all make fun of it, but it's just, there's something about Vince's voice. Taker comes out and does a great little speech, kind of like what Jim Ross has described for his his vision of what it would be for the Undertaker to retire in his last kind of, last commentary. But they do some cool things, like there's these, uh, these Tesla coils that they've got electrodes, you know, going back and forth, that's literally playing his theme. At first, you're like, man, oh, that's, wow. that's weird. And then all of a sudden, you're like, wow, wait a minute. That's cool because it's electricity bouncing back and forth. And then the sound that's coming off of it is his theme. Um, at the end of it, he hits the uh, one knee pose. And there's a hologram. This was cool of Paul Bearer looking down to the Undertaker. So they actually did the whole thing. And I was like, just. It was cool, but it was also a little bit hokey, but I still think it was cool. Um, but, you know, I, I just – this is The Undertaker, <laughs> goddammit. <laughs> you you got to give him – to me, this is – you got the Thunderdome people there. You keep them on the screen. You keep the lights, a, a spotlight, whatever you got to do, but you make it look like there's a goddamn crowd in there. You let the guests be there and give him the send-off that he deserves. In my opinion, he deserved better. Yeah, but to me, though, he already got the send-off. You know what I'm saying? How did – go back to to the AJ match, the Boneyard Mm -hmm. match. Yeah. Right? 
How did it? What's the last shot of the Undertaker? Oh, him riding off into the end of the night. All right, back up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. The, the, doesn't he do the fist? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. and then the uh, the right? the barn and, and or whatever the, lights the, up and all the laser lights. Yeah. Yes, and then he rides off into the darkness. Mm-hmm. Right, just like I said a few minutes ago, that was the end of the Undertaker. Right. right? So now they're not sending the Undertaker away. They're sending Mark. All right. They're they're giving this is Mark's retirement party. This isn't the Undertaker's retirement party. This is Mark's retirement party. Because hmm. Mark is retired. Yeah. The Undertaker to me retired or left at WrestleMania. It was WrestleMania. Yeah, WrestleMania. Yeah, I guess I didn't really think of it that way. Yeah, I mean this is this is them sending you know, again, when they did it for Flair, this is this. Even though they're, you know, Rick Flair, they're using the name. This is Rick's send-off, mm-hmm. right? Well, then they looks like they use pretty much the same freaking formula. I mean, it uh, really was. You know. It really was. If you think about it, they did the video package. They had all the guests come out, and then they had a speech. Right, but I mean, it, Paul's gone, right? So he's gone. Mm-hmm. All the ones that you're saying came out haven't even, like, aren't even household names anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's not like they're bringing out, you know, you know Brock Lesnar or, you know, whatever, you know. But... It's a it's a retirement party, a televised retirement party. Right. And I I I personally don't think you should ever see it. I, I you know I would have been happy with what you know the, all the current wrestlers and past wrestlers, whoever you get, to sit up on the stage and you know he can go out there and talk for a few minutes, take the knee. Mm-hmm. You want to put the Paul Bearer hologram up? You put it up, and then everybody is up on the ramp. And, you know, they clap or he lays the boots down or whatever, right? I I don't need all that other stuff. I don't need 20 people to be in there throwing a party on TV with nobody realizing they're throwing a party. I mean, it was just – I know that COVID has really limited a lot of things that we would normally see and a lot of experiences that we as fans would have. But to me, this was one of those moments where, and maybe, maybe, maybe you're right in regards to we just leave WrestleMania 36. That's the send off for the Taker that we get, and maybe they did something on a Monday Night Raw or something, and then then it's it. To have it kind of take your main event segment, I'm not saying the Undertaker doesn't deserve that because he does. He deserves a huge send off. But I just I don't know. It's yeah, always splitting hairs know- after the fact, you know. I don't think it takes the main events segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, this is this is something that they would have done uh, in the past on a Raw. In a right? dark segment. Times, yeah, how many times have we heard about these dark segments and we're like, holy, holy crap, that's pure gold. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? I think mm-hmm. they even did it for Rick. And they for, did one live and then they did one yeah, yeah, they did. the camera stopped. Yeah. So I, I think they were just, 
for whatever reason, we're like, well, let's let's do what you know. Let's use the same formula. We'll bring in all these people that nobody, you know, half the audience doesn't know mm-hmm. who they are. You know, they have no attachment to most of them, and so we're going to do this for everybody else. You know. Just, so you're only doing it for half your audience anyway. Wait till Roman retires. You think this one was dramatic? Oh my god! <laughs> hey, well, you don't thing, have a place at the table. <laughs> yeah, the good thing by then is I probably will not be watching the WWE anymore. So y'all can just fill me in when it happens. <laughs> You'll be watching. You'll be watching just like the rest of us going. Jesus. No, just listen. Honestly, I'm telling you. I'm so. I cannot tell you the last time I've watched Raw. I cannot tell you. Uh, I I have watched SmackDown less than Raw. Mm-hmm. I do catch NXT from time to time. But I, I do watch the pay-per-views because, you know, they have had some pretty decent pay-per-views this yeah. year. Um, so I do like to watch the pay-per-views, and that's, that's about it. I, I mean... They could very easily within a year me not even be give up my subscription or you know only watch paper or you know get down I'm only watching pay per views because they're free. Well, <laughs> nine ninety nine, but a nine ninety nine per view. <laughs> yeah, nine ninety nine per view. So, so because from what I understand about not to change the subject, but SmackDown that was like a train wreck. So that's a, it's a good a actually train wreck. The the post Survivor Series SmackDown, what should have been to me, um, a not just a reestablishing, but kind of like a, a a a cocky, arrogant celebration for Roman the entire show kind of thing. Like I beat uh-huh. the best of the best. You've got nobody, and then maybe at the ending you've got Daniel Bryan that says I'm going to take you on. Instead, they just kind of danced around it, and it was like, dude, didn't your just top bad guy just do something huge? Are we just going to ignore that? We're going to throw Daniel Bryan into a non-title match with Sami Zayn. Why? Not that the match was bad, because it wasn't, but why? There's no direction. There's just It's just like, ugh, what are we doing here? Supposedly, and I, you know, I don't hear this about Raw, but as far as Smack SmackDown goes, uh, they haven't had scripts. They have like loose outlines, right, for the show. Right. Vince has been arriving late, and then as soon as he gets there, he throws the the loose outline out the window, and they got to start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And if you notice, there were no tel- no advertised matches. Right, and it, it, it it's now literally just being thrown together. Yeah, it's it's um. There's parts where it's difficult, man, to really say, "Man, this is good. This is going to be good stuff." It, it, there's parts now where it's like, "Geez, what?" You remember how it felt in late 2000, early 2001. When WCW was just like gasping, and they had moments, they had moments where you're like, "Damn, that's pretty good." But then, for the most part, you had Vince Russo, <laughs> and you had, you know, you had 
Kiwi or whatever the hell his name was. <laughs> you, had, you know, Lenny and Lenny and uh, uh, Lodi. You know, you had those moments. You didn't have like Booker T and Scott Steiner every segment kind of thing. You just didn't have it. So here we are. You know, Monday Night Raw is it's a good show. There's not always a lot to talk about, but I will say this. At least there's a plan. That's how I feel when I see it. With SmackDown, at least for the past, eh, I would say three weeks, um, it's like this this feeling of like, what what are they doing? Because despite what they've done right with Roman, with Jey Uso, with Daniel Bryan coming back, with um, the tag championship, with, with the Street Profits, I think these were all smart moves. But I, I'm like, uh, Sasha Banks has won your title, and yet to me... Putting her with Carmella doesn't make sense. Roman Reigns is the head of the table, doing great as a bad guy, and yet he's still not your focal point. So, and and now in COVID, I mean, come on, who who who's over? It doesn't matter because you're not you're not getting a, an organic you know reaction from fans anyway. If you want Roman to be booed, you pipe in the booze. If you want him to be cheered, you pipe in the cheers. You know, it's it's it's, it's just what we have right now. For WWE. And so maybe, maybe we're witnessing something that, scary enough, is something that's going to lead to, yeah, it's going to ultimately have to lead to a shift or a close. Well, I mean, there could be any number of things. Like, so we've seen this before where he gets in a contract with somebody Mm -hmm. that at the time was great. Right. But then six months down the road, he has a change of heart. Right, right. And if Fox has any power, right, which according to what I remember, when the deals were signed, that they had, they do have a certain certain amount as to what wrestlers they want and everything else. Well, who's to say Vince isn't just taking this? Mm-hmm. So that maybe Fox is like, oh, you know what? We're going to have to let you go. And then he goes back to USA. USA lets him do whatever he wants. And, you know, I mean, who knows? Who knows what's floating around in that brain of his? But I don't I don't understand how, like, literally you can, like, whine that, oh, we, we don't have anybody that can cre- keep our stories in check. Right. Right. And you can whine about that, and you can advertise this position, and you can bring in Hollywood writers and all this other crap who don't know wrestling. But you know, let's let's bring them in, and then expect for them to be like when you show up at one twelve thirty one o'clock in the afternoon, and you take the outline up and you just throw it in the trash, and y'all been working on all week expect them to keep up and be able to produce quality TV. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, your script should be done by Thursday night. At the latest, you should be able to like start writing it Tuesday or Wednesday, have it ready to go for you know early Thursday, have everybody read over it, have everybody, well... Uh, yeah, okay, no, we, everything looks good. And then start writing revisions. Right. 
But if you're writing revisions at five, six o'clock, seven o'clock in the evening, I don't see. I don't see how that you can even consider that good for business. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's where there's a lot of challenges right now happening with televised wrestling. Even AEW has seen some of these challenges. Now, Impact, to me, has been kind of in a bubble. They've done it probably the safest way that they could do it as a company. No crowd. We're going to give you wrestling, and you'll decide on social media and everywhere else how you feel. WWE has tried to put their own NXT talent, but that was so coached and you know pre-done that it just didn't work. They did the Thunderdome, which initially was a little weird, a little creepy, but as they've as they've adapted it, you're getting visual reactions, but audio is is produced. AEW right. has had challenges with COVID outbreaks, but they've uh, so far been the smartest and also the most successful at bringing back live crowds. And because they're outdoors, they. They feel more confident. Their testing is much more in line, and, and things are done in a certain way. Now, granted, you've always got that risk factor with AEW and Impact. If they've got indie bookings, you know, if they've got, like with WWE, they had an outbreak that inadvertently impacted some of AEW's talent <laughs> because they're some of them are married, right? Sean Spears right. and Peyton Royce. So all of these things inad- inadvertently if impact each other. But with WWE right now, and, and I want to transition this to Dynamite because I want us to cover, you know, Winter is Coming. Um, with what we're seeing from WWE right now, Raw, like I said, has actually been a fairly solid show. Maybe not the best and maybe not the worst, but it's been solid. NXT, like you said, it's been all right. You know, they're making moves. Like with Leon Ruff, I like that storyline with him and Johnny Gargano right now. It's funny to me. But we've got war games coming up. Pat McAfee and his crew against Undisputed Era. That's going to be good. I mean, McAfee is just a goddamn savant. <laughs> Here's a guy that, you know, he's entertaining as hell on the radio as it is. He was charismatic and polarizing in the NFL. He has that standout match with Adam Cole. And then all of a sudden, he's like a major player. Because well, so, they have nobody else. Very true. And and there's not really many any any free agents anymore. If you're getting noticed well, on the yeah. indies, you're going to AEW, Impact, or you're just staying where you want to stay. Right, but what I'm saying is, so through Adam Cole, they were able to create a faction using Pat that rivals the Undisputed Era. <coughs> right. Right, that actually gives them, like, thorough competition all the way across the board and they call themselves the kings of wrestling now is that it uh that i i'm not sure of i don't think i saw it this wednesday and i don't know if they had a nickname before then i i liked this segment with him and finn balor where he's threatening finn and he's like so-and-so, dead, so-and-so, dead i mean he's just because it's it's when pat mcafee delivers that line Dude, you believe it. Like, it's, it's, he's bought in. So it's coming off like, wow, this is intimidating. And then you're wondering, like, how the hell is Finn Balor going to rebound with this? When the Undisputed Era hits the ring, first off, two years ago, you'd have never said the Undisputed Era was going to be a face. But that's the reaction mm-hmm. they ultimately went for. Yeah. Yeah, but, but again, though, I think it's just, 
who knows if they're face or not. They could just be, uh, you know, the enemy of my enemy is, is my, my friend. friend. Yeah, exactly. Well, and yeah. the other part of it is, is there's still been moments where the Undisputed Era have been attacked by an unknown assailant, not Pat McAfee and his group. So there's still supposedly rumblings that the Undisputed Era could have somebody within looking to tear it down. Oh, I think that's Adam Cole. Really? I think I think Adam Cole and Finn Balor um, are going to uh, try and recreate a certain faction. A certain club, if you will. A certain club, yeah, if you will. That's yeah. just too sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't think, uh, you know, the rest of them get invited to the to that particular club. It's a very elite club. Yeah. Only the best of the best. Yes. Only the best, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'd be okay with that if it was like Balor, uh, Cole, maybe Gargano? Eh, maybe not. I don't know. I don't know who else I'd put in it. I still think you get AJ eventually. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think they could do that kind of like they do the New Day, where they didn't break up, they just expanded. Right. Yeah. So. So. Yeah, speaking of New Day, holy cow. Um, Their matchup on Monday for the tag titles was really good and then really bad. Here's why I say that. Um, Kofi Kingston's a freaking monster, right? Like, their matchup with the Street Profits was insane. I really loved that. Um, but I'm worried because, like, you see these, the bumps that Kofi is taking right now, and I'm like, dude, why? <laughs> don't, don't dive over the top rope, do a somersault, and hope to God that someone's going to catch you. At this stage of his career, to me, he's kind of like, uh, he's at that upper echelon. You know, he should be protected a little bit better. But I get it. They need him where they need him. Well, it, it's not. I don't think it's just not. They need him where they need him. I, I there's a part of me that says that they have been paying attention, right? right. So impact takes challenges, not challenges, but takes uh, shots, mm-hmm. right? In in uh, you know in uh, their <laughs> matches. You mean like the phenomenal? <laughs> well, no. What? What I mean is, like, they're sometimes they're a little high flying. Oh yeah, right? yeah, yeah. AEW is a little high flying at times, mm-hmm. right? New Japan is a little high flying. ROH, and you know, these are all companies that the WWE, you know, ha- you know, probably behind closed doors drives them nuts that a they couldn't put impact out of business, you know. They couldn't put ROH down. They couldn't, you know, stop New Japan from coming to the shores of the United States. AEW flaunts it in their face every week, right? So to me, that well, how do we get our audience back? Because our audience is declining, right? And some of these other audiences are starting to grow. And they're starting to, to move upwards. Well, how do I compete with them? Well, oh, okay, I got it. Well, let's find the ones that can do these type of moves. Because, again, that's one of the big problems I've had with the WWE. Mm-hmm. You tell me you're the best in the world, but your wrestlers are constantly hurt. 
or matches where there should be high spots, you have no high spots. Um, you know, matches that should you on paper screen five star matches, and they're pretty much headlocks. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Where they just ground these guys who should have the ability to fly. Well, maybe there's a part of them that's finally saying, "Well, let's give it a shot. Let's. This is what the other people are doing. Let's see what. Let's see what we can do." Yeah, I mean it's 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 enlightening to see, or not enlightening, but it's uh, it's refreshing to see. WWE being willing to kind of step it up when it matters in some some way, shape, or form. Not always, because they don't always respond. But in some fashion, they have. And I think tag team-wise, they have paid attention. Now, they'll never be... They'll never have their tag division where everybody else's are. And that's, that's not just a Vince thing. I honestly don't think that a lot of people in WWE, and I wouldn't say Triple H, but I would guess and say there's a lot of people that just don't care about tag team wrestling in that company. Um... And, and I, that they have their own reasons for that. But for me, it's just a matter of probably they don't have enough time to plan out tag team storylines the way NXT used to. That's the best way I can I, describe it. Listen, I'm not buying it. If you have time to plan out the tribal chief, mm-hmm. you have time to plan out a tag team division. Now, I can't help it that you oversaturated your locker room. But the tag team division will be no different than any other match or storyline you want to put together. I think they've been in a rut with tag teams for a very long time and they don't know how to get out of it. Right. And then now you have the North in impact, right? Like legit straight fire. Bam. The North. They just the the FTR and the Young Bucks just put on a tag team classic in the modern era, right? New Japan's been doing it for some time. ROH has been doing it for some time, and maybe now they're just starting to say, "Well, maybe we should," because you know they do that every once in a while. Mm-hmm. You know, women in tag team in the WWE always seem to fall by the wayside. And then they say, well, maybe we should shore that up a little bit. Let's let's build that back up. So they build it up. And then once it gets to a certain height, they let it fall again. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's probably just what it is there. You know, somebody's like, hey, Vince, uh, we should probably get the tag teams going. Since we have some decent tag teams, let's, you know, let's get it. Let's get it working again. And so they'll they'll invest some time in it and. Here in about six months, they'll be like, "Ah, who needs tag teams?" Ah. Right, exactly, exactly. Like they have, they have these moments where you're like, "Dude, <laughs> they're really stepping it up," and then you're like, "Nah, well, they don't give a crap." <laughs> yeah, they don't give a crap. Ivar and our truth are now <coughs> your tag champions. Wait, what? Yeah, that, yeah, they'll do that. Don't don't put it past them. <laughs> oh no, I don't. I, I don't. You know, and then uh, what's his name will come back, and they'll be like, "Well." Six months down the road, we'll we'll put y'all back together. But for now, you're in a singles role. Right. Right. Huh? <laughs> what? Yeah, I I just don't understand where they get like Miz and Morrison. That tag team was derived because neither guy had anything else to do. Right. 
that's the sad part. And most likely, Miz is going to end up with. I'm guessing Miz is going to win the either the, the no, he's going to win the WWE title, but it's not going to be from Drew. It's going to be one of those moments where a good guy, it's good guy versus good guy, and he finally accomplishes his goal. So pick a guy on the Raw roster right now, and he's going to win it, and then Miz will come in and hit the skull-crushing finale and win the title. You know, and so I guess that might be one of my complaints about uh, SummerSlam, one of the only few, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you literally could have had Roman – uh, knock Drew silly, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. And like then, right after the then, match, just spear the crap out of him. Right, and and then leave him laying, but don't leave the ring. Mm-hmm. Right, and then here comes uh, the Miz with briefcase in hand and the referee, right? Mm-hmm. And climb in the ring and be in the center and give the briefcase to the ref, and before the ref can ring the bell, have Roman spear the crap out of him. Right, right. You know, negating the cash-in because the bell never gets rung, mm-hmm. but giving the appearance that the Miz is going to win. Right, right. They don't They don't often enough, they don't take advantage of teasing those kinds of big moments. They'd rather do like what they did with Dolph Ziggler and just keep it in the background until they absolutely need it. And yeah, it's, just, it's I, just so wasted. Yeah, yeah, I mean, there's all types of things. You could have had Roman, like, have his back to the Miz, and the Miz pat him on the back or something, and Roman be like, wait, who touched me? Right, right, exactly. You, know? like, you don't touch the head of the table. Yeah. <laughs> What's the... Is... A... And <laughs> right, then have exactly. Paul stop the ref. I mean, you could have done all types of things here. Uh, it's just, you know... And because the whole time, the whole time, once you realize Roman's going to beat uh, Drew, right... Mm-hmm. And, and you know, yeah, I thought it was a really good match. Don't get me wrong; I thought it was a good match. But he does, like at the end, put Drew down. Yeah. Well, why wouldn't you tease that? I mean, we're now we're now going into uh, Royal Rumble season, right? So you got Royal Rumble season, WrestleMania season, uh, you know, and so on and so on. You really have four quarters of the year broken up by pay-per-views. Right. Why wouldn't you have that teased? Well, you know, and hey, I, I don't understand why they don't do that anymore. It's like they've forgotten the need. I, I, I mean, again, you wouldn't even, you didn't even need for the ref to get close with the belt. Just have Roman destroy the Miz also. Mm-hmm. And it would have it wouldn't have necessarily taken away. As a matter of fact, it would have added to to Roman's presence in the ring. Yes, it would have I, added well, to yeah, his character. I think. I think so too. You know, you could have had him smile, shake hands, hug, whatever, and then mm-hmm. he turned around and Roman Superman punch him. Right, right. You know, you could have done all types of things. It would. I think it would have got the crowd up. Mm-hmm. Only to have them crash and burn because <laughs> you know they would have realized, oh crap, Roman's still in the ring. This is right, going to go right. bad. So it, I don't know. They're to me the WWE is just missing drama mm-hmm. right now. They're, well, they're so flat. There's there's a lack there, and I think it 
and, and I know we've gone over time on our on our segment here, but there is a lack of it, and it comes from the fact that there's not a live audience. Because you, I, I, I don't, don't so. I don't think you can can't consider the Thunderdome a live audience anymore, because they're not yeah, piping in their reactions. I mean, you're literally talking. We're almost one year into this. Yeah, almost. And they, and live audience Thunderdome, they should know how to write for what they have. Mm-hmm. I mean, Impact has absolutely zero audience. Yeah, and. You, there's no longer talk uh, that I know of that, oh, Impact's going out of business. No, they're thriving. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, and hey, I'm Sometimes, happy for them on that, by the way. Yeah, so am I. Sometimes you just need good stories, good mm-hmm. progression, and you need to capitalize on certain moments. Here's another one, right? Here's another takeaway, and then we can move on if you want from SummerSlam. Right? What happens? Survivor Series, but yeah. Oh, jeez. What What do they do to Lana? They make her stand outside, right? Yeah. You know what I would have had happen? Lana would have been the star of that match. Mm -hmm. She would have continuously tagged herself in, and she would have walked into pinfalls. Actually, that's a good idea. And she would have eliminated every last stinking one of the other team. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, literally, it would have been like, you know, Nia's in there and they, uh, or not Nia, but like Baszler's in there, right? She locks up with Natty. Mm-hmm. Natty walks her back to the corner. Lana tags herself in. She climbs in there, right? Now, Lana positions herself in between the two of them. Right. So Natty's behind Lana. Baszler's in front. Baszler's like, what are you doing? Lana's like, hey, I'm tagging myself in. Baszler pushes Lana. Mm -hmm. Natty grabs her, goes for the roll-up. One more roll, and Lana gets... Locks Natty into place. One, two, three. Boom! Pops up. You celebrate. Well, when Lana turns her back, somebody tags themselves in. You know, you could have done it for all five. Yeah. And the crowd would have ate it up. Oh, yeah. Instead of, oh, go stand on the steps. Mm -hmm. And, oh, by the way, Lana wins because there's nobody left to eliminate. Right, because of a double countout kind of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Why not have Lana eliminate them? Well, every and, last one of them. And and then to add to that, the the missed opportunity with her getting her her revenge on Nia and Shayna by ultimately putting one of them or both of them inadvertently or on purpose through a table. You got to remember, oh, yeah. you've you've had her nine times. They're counting. So at some point, Lana should get more than just a "Hey, you survived because no one touched you" moment. Mm-hmm. And and that's right. not a knock on C.J. Perry. I'm not making fun of Lana in that regard. She hasn't been given an opportunity to shine in that fashion. She doesn't right. have to be the best women's wrestler in the world. That's okay. I think we're past that part. We just need right. to have a moment for her where she, like you said, like she can be the superstar, be the have the shine. Yes. Hey, hey, I mean, we could have easily taken care of the table incident, mm-hmm. right? In in the, so you could have had Lana, Bianca, and not uh, and uh, 
Naya, mm-hmm. right? Well, somehow or another, the count, the, like when uh, they are outside the ring, right? It's at a point where Naya has set up a table, mm-hmm. right? Well, Bianca rolls into the ring. Naya goes to climb up because she's not going to roll in there. Right. And she's over top the table. Right? It's a classic spot. Mm-hmm. Lana goes to hit Bianca. Bianca ducks. Lana stops herself from hitting Naya. Bianca goes and runs across, hits the ropes, comes back, goes to hit Lana from behind. Lana moves. Boom, she hits Nia. Nia falls through the table. Right. The crowd goes wild. And Lana puts Bianca down for the pin. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. They would have ate it up. Lana would have been the belle of the ball. Yeah, just I think the, the theme of what some of Survivor Series had was missed opportunities. I, I really feel like that that's a good, a good theme there. So I do want to get us to Winter is Coming. I, I know we've spent, this has been a very WWE heavy, mainly because of The Undertaker show. Um, but I wanted us to, to dedicate as much time as we could for The Undertaker because he deserves it. Um, AEW, Winter is Coming. Dynamite has been great. There's been some moments, and, and I'm, I'm, I've gotten to that point now where I'm like, I'd like to see this better and fast. But that's only because I know AEW is capable of the best possible. So... I, I want to say that I'm excited for Kenny and for uh, John Moxley, but there's a part of me that feels like I kind of wish they would have just stretched this till Revolution. Even though I hate the slow burn, I know I'm the guy. I'm the guy, Brian, that always complains. Oh God, it's taking forever. But in this case, I think I would have preferred that. Uh, yeah, but I think that was the original plan, mm-hmm. right? But something tells me there is something that we're not privy to right? that has made them speed up the timeline, right? Kenny is hurt, legit hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I forget what the injury is. Torn, lo- torn labrum. A, yeah, probably should have surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, Moxley's just announced that uh, his wife is pregnant. Right. So we have we have two, two situations that we know of. Right. Right? We also have the other one where Moxley still holds a title in another federation. Oh, that's right. The U.S. title for that, uh, New Japan. Right. And their big pay-per-view just happens to be when? Uh, January. January. When is Retribution or whatever it's called? Revolution, Revolution. is in February. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, who knows, though? There are all types. Maybe New Japan wants to hold on to Moxley for a while. Mm-hmm. Maybe Moxley wants to ride it out with New Japan for a while. Who knows? Um, or maybe he just wants but, to be safe for his wife. Yeah. I mean, I don't know when she's due. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, February, you're still talking, what, December, January. So three months. Mm-hmm. So, well, I mean, I don't know when, you know, when when the kid was conceived. So maybe <laughs> by the time January or February rolls around, maybe she, you know, maybe it'll be time for her to give birth. Mm-hmm. Well, but at, at again, the same time, I mean, the, he's probably thinking about the trimester too, because first trimester is a pretty important one. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm almost positive, though, the original stipulation was for a revolution. Right. Um, but, you know, there has to be something we're not privy to, why they sped it up. Uh, and I'm fine with that. Um, I have no problem with that. I don't know if I could have waited till February. Um, but, you know... It's one way or the other, whether you wait or don't wait. <laughs> so, yeah. But something tells me, again, that it just wasn't going to happen in February. And they needed it to happen, so they really pushed the timetable up. Mm-hmm. And then again, uh, uh, Tony has come out and said he's got more surprises in the works. Kind of um, makes you wonder what it's going to be. Well, I mean, there is a certain former WWE, now New Japan pro wrestler, who just won the number one contender match that's been calling out Moxley on, um, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Mm. other social medias. So I think he's the one that laid Moxley out. You think it's Kenta? Yes. Damn. I would not have seen that coming. Nice. That's a good point. Again, I you know, I, there's been so much talk, mm-hmm. right? Well, yes, we'll do it. We're closer now than ever before. You know, what's his name left? And we, we're mending those fences, and we're open to these things. And, I mean, AEW has already shown you how open they are. Mm-hmm. The NWA women's title is defended. We had Don Callis on, on the announce table. Right. I mean, they even come out and said he's an impact. You know what I'm saying? How, how, you know, how big of a pay-per-view would that be? And how much of a kick in the nuts would it be if your first pay-per-view in 2021, because you're betting on certain things to take place, that New Japan partners with AEW, and maybe we get a pay-per-view. Mm. Or or broadening the dream out, NWA and Impact join the fray. Yes. Oh, I Jesus. Mean, <laughs> Salivating. Mean, you're, you're ta- uh, what's the name of the pay-per-view? Revolution. And you don't think that wouldn't be a revolution? <laughs> I mean, it would be huge, especially in this day and age, to get that combination of talent under one roof. You could almost do a two-night event. Yeah. And but I again, there's a part of me that just with all this talk, I mean, we have FTR in the north going back and forth. Mm -hmm. Right. We have FTR saying, well, we want to work other places. We want to go to New Japan. We have all this all this intercompany talk. Well, maybe they moved it up because every we've agreed that. Come February, maybe we have a joint pay-per-view. And listen, to be perfectly honest, as much as I'm anticipating Omega versus Moxley for the AEW world title, well, if if you don't think Omega as champ in February facing... 
what's his name? What? Who, who's the guy that he beat at Wrestle Kingdom? What's what's the guy's name? Mm. Come on, you can do it. You're talking about Okada? Yes. Jesus. AEW would be the one United States company that that would give give us an Okada match that we want to see. Yes, but look at the way the roles would be reversed this time. It's not Kenny chasing Okada. Right. It's Okada chasing Kenny. Have we ever seen Okada on the chase before? I mean, obviously mm. New Japan has had it done, but have we seen mm-hmm. it is my question. I don't think we've seen it. I don't think we've seen it. Because I want to say when I had New Japan World, Okada wasn't chasing anybody because he held the title. Right, right. Because I, I, I kept it up until Kenny. Uh, and then I think I let it lapse after that. Yeah. So let's uh, let's do the rundown of the card so far for Winter is Coming. Britt Baker taking on Layla Hirsch. I do not know who Layla Hirsch is. I'm sorry, I don't. Chris Jericho against Frankie Kazarian. Um, that match could be really, really good. I, I think those two would have a great one. Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes taking on Team Taz. With Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs, Brian Cage and Taz will be on the outside. Now, this past week on Dynamite, Taz took exception to some of the things that Cody was saying about uh, why Taz's son isn't training with Taz. Um, and then we we got to see Taz choke out Cody. Now, look, I'm a, I'm a Taz fan from way back, so I'll be the guy and say, man, I wish we could see Taz versus Cody. That'd be cool. You think he's got one more? Man, I hope. I hope so much. I know that his neck was in really bad shape in WWE, and that's why he really didn't get a run. But, you know, I'd really love to see Taz just one more time. Well, I mean, we did see Edge come back. So, yeah, you know. yeah. And, and it would only have to be for the official, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, recognition of the FTW title. Yes! That, see, see, look at you. You're on the same page as me. That's my boy right there. Yeah. Um, no, no, Cage. I got this one. Right, it, yes. I, I got this one. Yeah, we're going to go old school on this bust. I could just see it. Just, just, mm-hmm. damn it. Make it happen, Tony. All right, and then the Diamond Battle Royal, the Diamond Diamond, the Dynamite Diamond Ring. Damn, try saying that. Three times fast. Battle Royal for the ring. Paige, Reynolds, John Silver, Johnny Hungy's going to win the gold. I don't know. He's already got the BTE title. Sammy Guevara, iconic Matt Hardy. Isaiah Cassidy, Mark Quinn, uh, Matt Seidel, Scorpio Sky, Sean Spears, Orange Cassidy, Kip Sabian, Miro, Wardlow, and MJF. Uh, hmm. Oh, man. So I got three. Uh, yeah. I got three. MJF, Sean Spears, or Orange Cassidy? See, I I could see Sean Spears winning it. I think if there's a person that needs it, it's Spears. Mm-hmm. Um, he needs a big moment. Mm-hmm. So I, I agree with you. I mean, you. Are, I mean, I don't. I don't know how because he is like quietly built up one of the more impressive records mm-hmm. in AEW. 
I just I feel like and and we said this as kind of jokingly when they first started last year that Sean Spears is always going to kind of be Ty Dillinger. <laughs> he's always going to be in that spot. But over the past, I would say six months, he's really kind of grown into a new role. And I honestly feel like here's a guy that, that truly deserves a shot. You know, it, it's it, they're doing it with Darby Allen. I think Spears will be in that same ranking. I think Adam Page, while he is the – yeah, I think a lot of people would like to see him win. I, I would be fine with him winning. I think it would be great. But I think what we'll probably see Adam Page do is win the TNT title first before doing anything else. I think his his journey, like we've talked about in the weeks prior, his journey is a lot longer to get to that world title spot. Yeah, I, see, I don't think he needs that ring either. I don't think the yeah. ring would do anything to him. Like, whereas with MJF, I don't think he needs it, mm-hmm. but with the ring, it enhances him. Right, right. You know what I'm saying? It, it gives him that one more thing to be over the top with. You know, just to be so obnoxious about that you hate him. But if he didn't have it, he'd still be an obnoxious little prick. I just had a brainstorm idea for the winner of the Battle Royal. I think this will actually happen. Either Alex Reynolds or John Silver, probably Silver, because this always happens to him, will have to surrender their spot in the Battle Royal. And the winner will be Mr. Brody Lee. Oh, I could see that, too. I could see that happening. Silver would do it. Silver would do it because he's such a company man, right? <laughs> a dark yeah. order guy. Yeah, you know yeah. There wouldn't be no poking and prodding. However, the hijinks that would ensue. Yes, because I, I think Silver would be like, "No, that's my belt. You took my spot." <laughs> I could see them doing BTE for weeks. Yeah. F Adam Page. F Adam Page. <laughs> I mean, I, I I live for watching the Dark Order segments there. Um, sorry, Sonny. That's just what I want to see. Uh, and then, of course, the main event, which is Omega and Moxley. Um, now, you alluded to it earlier. You said that you think Kenta is going to be the guy that kind of caught. Co- you think he's going to cost Moxley the belt? Yes. Wow. With With Kenny Omega having a torn labrum, and most likely needing surgery. And this is what he has said. So he could just be lying and working us all. But if that's the case, I could see a heel Kenny Omega defending only when he chooses to kind of roll. And I could see that working really well for him. Oh, yeah. Um, especially the cleaner. Um, I think uh, the cleaner persona is a little bit more... Uh, Mm-hmm. Healed than any other persona he's had. Yeah, and I liked what we saw this week with the with him coming out in the suit, kind of being real, real, real arrogant, kind of like putting down Moxley without really putting him down. I like that approach to Kenny Omega better than I did the. I'm just part of the elite. I'm just glad to be here. I, I'm, I was I was tired of seeing that, like many of us were. Um, but I feel like this dynamite is pay per view worthy. And if they were to charge 50 bucks, they'd probably get a pretty damn good buy rate. Uh, I would imagine just off of the main event alone. Yeah. I hope, you know, I hope they don't pull some shenanigans, you know, like <laughs> Thursday or Wednesday afternoon. But like, ah, you're, we're going to make you pay for it now. 25 well, bucks. here's the, oh, God. 
I would be pissed. I really would. Yeah. I, I, I think the only thing we have to worry about with this is, of course, that last minute somebody's popped for COVID kind of thing. Um, but other than that, I mean, Winter is Coming looks like a solid card. It's this Wednesday, of course. Being the Elite debuts at noon on Monday. So the the final lead-in, that and uh, AEW Dark, which, of course, has been some great matches there. Um, and it, it, for nothing else, if you tune into AEW Dark on YouTube, listen to Excalibur and Taz. They are hilarious. They are just hilarious. They, they, they have such a great chemistry. Um, I wanted to close out tonight because I know we're over time, but this is something that is important to me personally. Um, yesterday on Twitter, there was an announcement made by Jimmy Rave. Um, Jimmy Rave, of course, if, if you followed me at any length of time, uh, is an interview that myself and Smart Rage had back on WrestleRage years back. Um, but Jimmy Rave is, is one of the Atlanta guys that was with Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment. He worked in TNA, Ring of Honor. He teamed up with uh, Lance Archer in the Rock and Rave Connection in TNA. He was part of Crown Jewel. He was in the Crown Jewel of Prince Nana's Embassy in Ring of Honor. But he announced uh, yesterday that he's going to be retiring, or is retiring, because his his arm had an infection in it, and he thought he could gut it out. He thought he could tough it out, but it actually turned out that he could not, and they had to amputate it. Um, that's a tough break for anybody, and that's putting it extremely lightly. Um, my heart breaks for Jimmy Rave. He's only 37 years old. Um, it's bad enough to, to envision somebody that you have respect for losing an arm or a body part, but being forced to retire and, you know, that's something that, that just hurts and, and I feel for him. So, you know, hey, if you ever had the good fortune of, of talking to this guy, the the moniker of being Jimmy Raved approved was kind of a nice thing to have. It was a real feather in the cap. So when he called our show that, it really meant a lot to me personally. Um, there is a GoFundMe going around right now, and once I get the link here, I'm going to put it on C2C um, and PW. But uh, if you could help this guy out with expenses, look, you don't you don't have to give to a lot of people, right? We're at this time of year, though, where this is the season of giving, right? And here's a guy that could truly, truly need and be helped out. Got a few bucks, you know, throw the guy some help because he's he's a proud man. He's a, a good man, and uh, I want to be able to say that, you know, we in one way, shape, or form were able to give back to him as he was generous enough to give to give to me with his time for an interview. Um, I really appreciate that, and, and my thoughts go out to you, Jimmy. I know that that's a, a horrible thing to have to go through for you, and I just not, wish nothing but the best for you, man. But, um, yeah, Damn. <clears throat> that's kind of a downer for me, but I just I feel bad for the guy, and I, I felt like it was something we should put respect to. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, you can catch you can catch up with us here on social media at C two C Radio Show for the show at STRCP twenty one for Brian and at Stan Grub for myself. That's on Twitter, pretty much at Stan Grub for everything for me at C at Corner to Corner or at C two C Radio Show on everywhere for Corner to Corner. And then Brian's uh, Brian Taylor on Facebook. Uh, he he has Instagram, but don't send him any pictures, okay? Don't send him pictures. We know yeah, it. Just don't do it. Don't do it. Bunch of heathens. 
<sighs> so uh, yeah, so I think I think uh, I think tonight um, tonight we should uh, end this on a positive note. Okay. Um. So there is an official release date for. For the video game. Ah, for Retromania. Yes, uh, my phone locked up on me. I was trying to trying to get it real quick. Let's see, there it goes. All right, see, they should have it up. I believe it's in February. Release Fe- date February twenty six. You can pre order. Now at RetromaniaWrestling.com. Um, again, it's showing uh, Nintendo, PlayStation, Stream, uh, Steam, and Xbox. And also to the iArcade. iArcade. I've never heard of this. I don't know what it is yet, but it's uh, being offered on that as well. Uh, and getting these guys are getting a lot of traction. They just did a giveaway for, for beta testing. Um Five lucky people were able to go ahead and get their hands on it just a little bit early. And NintendoLife.com, great little article about uh, Retromania. So pretty exciting times, man. And hey, you might actually get to see your boys, the C2C folks, in the game, possibly. Maybe. Maybe. And the uh, more important, uh, this would be more of a question, I guess. Right? So, you know, we have rules. We do. Eh, but the cool thing is, um, and you can get ready to cue the music because we're gonna, we're just going to end this on such a such a high note. But I have one question, and I'd like to know how about them Cowboys? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you can hit the music. <laughs> I'm going to hit the music here. My father is a diehard Washington fan, by the way. And my brother, my oldest brother, is a diehard Cowboys fan. You can only imagine what my family text chat looked like on, <laughs> on Thursday. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Have a great week. We'll see you next time, next Sunday. Same bad time, same bad channel. Talking about winter is coming when it's finished. Have a great one, everybody. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.